This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Now, normally I have a shortened version of a bio that I read about our guest, but this bio is just so jam-packed full that I'm going to read the whole thing, and, and it's captivating, so you're going to be with me the whole time. Uh, we're talking today with Dawn Eden Goldstein. Uh, she has her doctorate in sacred theology. She's an award-winning author of the biography of Edward Dowling, Father Ed, the story of Bill W.'s spiritual sponsor. It's available on Orbis Books. She's also been the author of Sunday Will Never Be the Same, and under the pen name of Don Eden, The Thrill of the Chaste, My Peace, I Give You, Healing Sexual Wounds with the Help of the Saints, and Remembering God's Mercy. Together, her books have been translated into 10 languages. She was born in New York City, and Dr. Goldstein began her working life as a rock and roll historian. Uh, she went on to, uh, to the editorial positions at the New York Post, the Daily News, before publishing her first book in 2006. In 2016, she became the first woman to earn a doctorate in sacred theology from the University of St. Mary of the Lake. Her book, Father Ed, which we're talking about today, won a 2023 Christopher Award, and Remembering God's Mercy won a 2017 Excellence in Publishing Award from the Association of Catholic Publishers. She lives in Washington, D.C., and has taught at universities and seminaries in the United States, England, and India. You can follow her, as I have for some time, over on Twitter, at Dawn of Mercy. Dawn, it's such a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be beyond EL. So I'm I'm interested in the whole train of thought here. I'm looking through your your early work and into some of your earlier books and this book. And I'm noticing a trend here uh, from rock and roll journalist to the, the book on remembering God's mercy, to the book on healing sexual wounds with the help of the saints, to Father Ed. And each of these Real. deal with people who are dealing with the traumas and the troubles of life, the difficulties mm -hmm. that come from the outside, and a sincere pursuit of truth. I see that in, in as it's dealing with rock and roll, with, with trying to encapsulate some true kernel about life through music, whether we're dealing mm -hmm. with uh, dealing with trauma or... In this case, Father Ed's work with Bill W. Now, uh, for those who are uninitiated, some people know exactly what we're talking about, but what does it mean for Father Ed to be the spiritual sponsor of Bill W.? Uh, so uh, Bill Wilson was with Dr. Bob Smith, the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, in AA, one's sponsor is usually... Uh, another alcoholic who has done the 12 steps that are the core of uh, the uh, AA, uh, AA's spiritual uh, program. And uh, so the sponsor is, is someone who, who, who guides the other person, the one they're sponsoring, uh, through uh, these steps and is there to uh, support him or her. Uh, now, uh, Father Ed was not an alcoholic, uh, but Bill Wilson considered Father Ed his spiritual sponsor uh, because uh, Father Ed Dowling uh, S.J. gave Bill Wilson the spiritual support that Bill needed, really, to uh, to live the uh, the life of of the twelve steps. Mm -hmm. Now, when you when you do any amount of kind of cursory research on uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, this isn't a name that comes up very often. Uh, and your book seeks to 
to maybe remedy that. But wh- why is it that we haven't heard more about Father Ed? You know, that's a very good question. I suppose when one hasn't heard about something that one should have heard of, there's a temptation to go into conspiracy theories like, oh, <laughs> people don't want you to know about him and, and so on. Uh, but, you know, I suppose an obvious answer, well, there are a couple of obvious answers. First of all, we tend to hear about people who were self-promoting, people who wanted to be heard about. And uh, Bill, so, sorry, sorry, um, Father Edward Dowling didn't promote himself. Uh, if someone was not necessarily self-promoting, like, you know, we could say, you know, Dr. Bob wasn't it wasn't self-promoting. And to a certain extent, Bill Wilson, you know, even though he couldn't help putting himself out front during the early years of AA, he tried to um, fade into the background later on. Um, but if if we know about them, uh, it's also because in the case of Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob, um, they... Uh, express something through their persons about the AA philosophy that people understand as being important to the history. Now, Father Ed, you know, he's a Catholic priest, a Jesuit, and as Father Ed himself said in one of his letters to Bill Wilson when Bill was asking Father Ed uh, back in 1941 if Father Ed would be um, one of the first non-alcoholic trustees of AA, Father Ed replied that, you know, he wasn't sure what people would think if a quote-unquote mackerel-snapping Jesuit was an AA trustee. It might frighten people, Father Ed said. So, you know, even back then in 1941, which is just, you know, five and a half years or after AA began, um, you know, already there was a sense that Father Ed had, and rightly, uh, which was that um, AA might be harmed if it were attached too strongly to a particular religion. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, I think without being too much of a conspiracist that, you know, that's probably the biggest reason why uh, even many AAs haven't heard of Father Ed. Uh, because to say that a Jesuit priest was involved with AA almost from the beginning um, as an important spiritual force, um, that can make it sound as though AA is necessarily a Catholic program, which it isn't. It's, it's, it's not uh, associated with any religious faith. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, as... Um as someone who is not an alcoholic, but as a historian and lover of history, how did you come across this story, and what was it about this story that that compelled you to research it and to do the work of writing and to bring this uh, this fantastic uh, self-sacrificial life uh, and present it to the rest of us? That's right. I'm not... Uh, an alcoholic, and I am a lover of history, definitely. I mean, I started out being a lover of rock and roll history, interviewing people like Harry Nilsson and Del Shannon, and then as a Catholic, I uh, became uh, interested in 
you know, certain obscure corners of of Catholic uh, history. Uh, with regard to Father Ed, I learned about him from uh, a member of AA who wrote uh, an online article about Father Ed, and that was back in 2008. That led me to pick up what was then the only book really touching on Father Ed's life. Uh, my book, Father Ed, is the first ever uh, full biography of uh, Father Edward Dowling, but uh, prior to that, there was a book called The Soul of Sponsorship that was an edited collection of Father Ed's correspondence with Bill Wilson that spanned uh, uh, about 20 uh, years uh, from uh, 1941 to uh, fought, uh, to uh, not long before Father Ed died in 1960. Uh, so in reading The Soul of Sponsorship, I was so moved to discover how this Jesuit, who was himself, like me, not an alcoholic, how he could come to devote so much of his life and ministry to helping some of the most desperate people, not only alcoholics, but also drug addicts and people uh, in a group called Recovery Incorporated, now known as Recovery International, uh, people suffering from uh, anxiety issues. Uh, and also uh, he was reaching out to married couples at a time when marriage ministry was pretty much unknown uh, in the uh, American Catholic world. Uh, so uh, there was just such a richness to the way that Father Ed gave of himself, that I just found him a very attractive person. So I just hoped that someone else would write a biography of him. And, you know, more than 10 years later, um, when nobody else was writing a biography of him, I, I finally uh, decided to be the one to do it. You delved in quite a bit to his his writings as well. Uh, looking into his letters between not only uh, him and Bill Wilson, but also between him and his sister Mary and other people yes. that were influential in his life and, and whom he had relationship with. I wonder if you could paint us a, a little bit of a picture, primarily because the lives of the saints and the lives of the holy ones uh, give us inspiration and help us maybe to see a path forward into places we wouldn't normally go. Um, and so you start... Uh, early on in his childhood. And I'm interested if you saw any threads or any particular maybe values or core beliefs that his family instilled in him or that he had as a young person that you can see the thread from, from that value or that moment in childhood to who he became uh, in, his, in his work and his ministry and his outreach. That's a great uh, question, T.L. And you know, the thread that I found in Father Ed's life, which uh, I say from, I think, you know, the, the very first page of chapter one is failure. Uh, Father Ed, uh, from childhood, uh, had it, you know, instilled in him from his uh, parents, I think particularly his, his father, uh, that failure was not something to be afraid of, uh, that um, failure could be quite noble if one failed in doing an undertaking that was courageous and good. Uh, that was what young Edward Dowling learned, and his 
father's me when when, when his father would tell stories about uh, the family's ancestors who were uh, martyrs for you know in the in the long struggle for Irish independence from uh, from the United uh, from 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 England. Um, so, uh, you know, I was interested in this whole, you know, kind of concept of understanding the spiritual meaning of failure, because I had done my uh, dissertation on the redemptive value of human suffering, and uh, one chapter of that dissertation was on Pope Francis's theology of suffering, which uh, is influenced uh, strongly by uh, a book that he read by a Jesuit named John Navone called uh, The Theology of Failure. So in this book, The Theology of Failure, uh, John Navone uh, talks about how Jesus in redeeming us took on our human limitations, our human, uh, our human failings. Uh, and, uh, you know, Navone presents the cross as representing the ultimate failure of human effort. We cannot um, get to God on our own effort. We can't, we can't live on past death on our own effort. We need God's grace. And, you know, Jesus, because of being God and and man um, raised himself, but it was because of his being God and man that he was able to raise himself. It was because of his union uh, with the Father in the Holy mm-hmm. Spir- Spirit. Uh, he could not have raised himself simply on his, on his human power. He could only do it in his union with the Father. Anyway, I'm getting a little too theological here. It's it's all just to say that um, for Father Ed, too, um, later on in in his priesthood, uh, he would help people see where is the grace in our human limitation of effort. He he knew what limitation of effort was like. He suffered from uh, a terrible disease called ankylosing spondylitis, uh, a form of uh, particularly crippling arthritis. Uh, that greatly limited his own physical efforts and 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 shortened his 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 life by mm-hmm. you know possibly decades from what it would would have been. Um, so uh, you know that's that's really the 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 thread the you know coming to terms with you know our need to surrender to to the higher power that lifts us up and enables us to do things that we couldn't do on our own. I'm going to take that back to the theological conversation for a moment. Um, I came from a, a, I'm a convert. I came in from a tradition that was uh, in the holiness movement. Uh, And the idea was that um, God makes you perfect and God makes you holy. And I see threads of that even in, in the theology that I hold as a Catholic, but the, the way that it presented itself was that failure was a shameful thing and that that was something to be, um, that wasn't the part of you that you put forward. That wasn't the part that you showed to anyone because that shows that you're not in God as much as you should be, right? So you have to have this veneer of of perfection. And I even see that from some of my 
my fellow Catholics today who feel that going to confession is a, a, a maybe an imposition of Catholic guilt. It's this this heavy thing that um, that's to be avoided and uncomfortable, and you only go when you absolutely have to. Because of this view that if I somehow show my weaknesses, if I somehow am vulnerable with those who are around me, then everyone will know that I'm not the the good church person I'm supposed to be. And I see in your telling of Father Ed this this picture of humility and beauty in recognizing failures and in, and in some sense embracing them, not so much as to say, oh, they're okay and I don't have any problem with them, but to, to embrace them as that means to mercy, um, to say, well, this this failure is bringing me back again into the arms of God and into, as AA would put it, into the higher power, rather than it being this thing that crushes us and we can we have to wallow in it for a while. Beautifully said. Uh, I'm very interested in hearing what, what you say about the holiness movement. I guess my, my greatest uh, exposure to it was through reading um, My Utmost for His, his Highest, Mm-hmm. Um, by Oswald uh, Chambers, which I, I really liked a lot, although I was later put off reading something by o- Oswald uh, Cha- Chambers that um, that repeats some, you know, slur against Jewish people. You know, and, mm-hmm. uh, unfor- uh, un- unfortunately, one can, you know, in, 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 encounter that, uh, particularly in some writers from that uh, period. Um, but uh, with regard to failure and confession... Um, it's it's very interesting that you should mention uh, that uh, because uh, certainly Father Ed's kind of romance with failure, so to speak, uh, comes through in his writings on confession, his exhortations in letters uh, for people to confess. Uh, there's this one letter that I quote in Father Ed, uh, that he wrote to a, a young man who was describing to him a uh, a sexual problem that the young man's uh, girlfriend had, where she was carrying all this uh, guilt uh, because of having acted out sinfully, um, it, sexually in certain in certain ways. Uh, and Father Ed wrote in this letter to this young man that um, that with regard to certain uh, sexual sins that maybe um, stem from compulsions, uh, that the level of culpability with compulsions is can be so low that the greatest culpability, if one sins in this way, is just from uh, carrying like so much shame that one f- feels that, that one can't confess. That is where one builds up culpability from not mm. confessing. Um, that that it, it's an interesting approach. The idea that the failure to confess can be worse than the actual sin. The actual sin may be minimal, um, and you know that's something that's quite compatible with uh, the um, philosophy of AA. You know why do members? Normally, not always, but you know, often begin begin meetings with "I'm so and so, and I'm an alcoholic." That that's not an absolute requirement for AA. If anyone's listening, you know, you you can you know go to an AA meeting and not have to say that if you don't want to. 
Um, but, you know, in AA, you know, there's an understanding that if one um, is um, unwilling to, you know, let voice the fact that one is failing in some way, um, and if, if one's not willing to kind of take one's failing and offer it to be healed, there can be a, a narcissism in that, a self-centeredness, a feeling like, oh, I am such a uniquely bad and uniquely evil sinner that I don't dare confess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think Father Ed was very, you know, conscious of that, you know, danger with regard to egotism, which is is why, you know, he in his gentle way, really urged people, you know, just to to unburden themselves to God. Well, and even in that uh, I am so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic statement, there's the there's two ways that you can approach that statement. You can approach it as I am dealing with and in the midst of failure and I'm telling you so that you can help me out of it. Well, and there's also the potential uh, of the person to then take that as core identity and say, I can never be anything but alcoholic. Of course, that's AA is specifically designed to avoid that. But I feel like so often we in our Christian lives may feel if we don't take that to confession, that culpa- that that culpability of not taking it to confession can lead it to this is just who I am and I am the worst right. of the worst and there is no hope for for escape. And that's one of the things that that I've seen throughout your writing is this uh, clarion call to hope. Uh, whether it be this this particular writing, which is more in in the uh, the history telling a story of his life in a very winsome way, or whether it be your books that are uh, directly speaking to the the reader in kind of a um, discipleship manner of come and receive the mercy. Um, all of the works are leading us to that truth that that this is a, a, a life where we experience brokenness, and yet there is this greater hope that we can all, this peace to which we can aspire. Well, thank you. I, I certainly try to put that across in my in my writings. That clarion call to hope is a beautiful way to describe it. Um, I really see Father Ed as exemplifying that clarion call to hope uh, because he was known as a priest for people with problems. It's it's interesting when you don't have a whole lot of like secondary, like eyewitness information. I mean, I I was very fortunate in that I was able to to interview many people who knew Father Ed. and I also was able to go through the archives. Uh, but, you know, still, it's not like doing a biography of someone who's um, enormously well-known with an enormous amount of eyewitness encounters to describe. So, uh, you know, when I would come across more than one account where somebody described Father Ed in nearly the same words without like having read one another's accounts, I thought, well, this is something that is really true about Father Ed. And one thing that I heard in two or three different places, I think maybe for one person I interviewed and from two written accounts as well, is that people said that 
Father Ed was the one priest they knew where they felt more comfortable coming to him with a problem than without one. (laughs) The way uh, another person put it was that if you don't have a problem, Father Ed will find you slightly boring. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, to me that encapsulates how people came to him when they needed hope, when they were like at the end of their uh, of their rope and they just knew here's the man here's the priest who is going to make things better it seems in our current day and age and the the whether we call it the age of social media or the the age of covid or whatever it is that we call it we don't like um to to be vulnerable we're, we're, it's also the age of loneliness where we don't really find yeah. a lot of community people being vulnerable with one another and sharing themselves in a way. And, and that kind of isolation, uh, only magnifies our problems. Uh, and so looking at the life of father Ed, um, I, I see kind of a, a multifold challenge as an individual, one, the challenge to be vulnerable and honest with failure. Two, to be the person who isn't intimidated by someone else's failure and to be a place where they feel comfortable uh, and and maybe even encouraged to express that part of them uh, where, that, where they can re- receive help without judgment. So how do we take those lessons and yes. um, maybe manifest them, for lack of a better word, uh, in our own contexts? in our own cities and towns and and homes and communities? That's a great question, T.L. One thing that researching Father Ed's life and his whole kind of apostolic approach uh, in his his ministry, uh, one thing that really um, struck me was that Father Ed was intent on finding the good in each person who came to him. And focusing on the good. That doesn't mean that he ignored what was wrong with them, but he found for them a starting place in virtue where they could grow. Uh, he would always find um, what was the area in which this person who's coming to, like the people who came to him would feel weak and desperate and like losers. And he would find the one area where they were courageous or where they were moral, and he would praise them for that. He would use that as a foundation for building them up so that they would have the strength and the wisdom and the courage to overcome whatever their problem was. We're talking today with Don Eden Goldstein. Uh, She is the author of the new book on Orbis Books called Father Ed, The Story of Bill W.'s Spiritual Sponsor, a biography of Father Edward Dowling, a Jesuit. And we're going to continue this conversation right after the break, but be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Don't go anywhere. There is so much more to this conversation right after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily lives. I'm your host, 
TL. We're talking today with Dr. Dawn Eden Goldstein. She's the award-winning author of the new biography of Edward Dowling, Father Ed, the story of Bill W.'s spiritual sponsor, available on Orbis Books. Dr. Goldstein, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. So we're talking about the life of this remarkable Catholic, Father Ed. And for me, as I look at his life, and I'm looking at this uh, this telling of his life, I'm looking at it as the model of uh, relational evangelism, right? The, the, all of this is about knowing Christ, knowing the good news, knowing the hope that's there, sharing that hope, and inviting people into that hope through being the kind of person that you would want to be around, right? Yes. Um, one of the things that I see about Father Ed that that sometimes is in our in our current day and age, whether it, whether it be because we all have air conditioning, we want to rush inside where it's nice and cool, whether it, whatever the case may be, we like our insular communities. As the world gets more and more polarized, we try to find people who look exactly like us, mirror image, and those are the people we hang around because it's more comfortable and safer that way. And yet, Father Ed gives us an example that I think that we should look to of going to the places where people don't have your same problems, where they don't share yes. your exact story and making yourself available uh, to be in the mix of, well, let's let's use the words of Christ in the gospel, to be leaven uh, in the society around us. A little bit of leaven raises the whole loaf. So uh, as we talk about Father Ed, um, he, as a non-alcoholic, is now made or was made the kind of this non-alcoholic trustee of Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, he didn't actually become the trustee because his superior wouldn't let him, but oh. he certainly was 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 uh, literally trusted yeah. by Bill and other members of AA. So what? how did that relationship start up? Because that's not one that you would necessarily, you know, a, a Jesuit priest living in community, making his way to have the interactions with, uh, with Bill Wilson such that they end up in, in relationship with one another. Well, Father Ed learned about AA very early in AA's history, in early uh, 1940s, so less than, uh, than five years after AA was founded and only about a year after the publication of the big book, which is the core text, uh, or the foundational text uh, for uh, the AA Fellowship's uh, spiritual program. And uh, when Bill, sorry, when Father Ed read the big book, um, he, he was very impressed with it. He was impressed with also uh, an a, a meeting that he went to. He, the meeting he went to was in Chicago. He immediately set about founding the first AA chapter in St. Louis, where where he was based. And when he lent the big book or showed it to uh, a fellow Jesuit, Father John Marcoux, who was an alcoholic, Father Marcoux pointed out to Father Ed that the 12 steps bore similarities to uh, the sequence of kind of spiritual events or steps that are within the spiritual exercises yeah. of St. Uh, Ignatius, the 30-day uh, program of prayer and meditations uh, created by the founder of the Jesuits. 
And uh, once that was pointed out to Father Ed, Father Ed became absolutely fascinated with the 12 steps because uh, Father Ed had done his master's thesis on the psychology of the spiritual exercises. And in his master's thesis, he had actually described the spiritual exercises as providing steps for will training, training of the, the will, like to overcome um, ha- b- bad or sinful habits. Um, so, you know, that was back, you know, in the mid-1920s, long before AA, that Father Ed was thinking about the spiritual exercises as as a means for over overcoming bad habits. So, uh, you know, the kind of eureka moment was Father Ed realizing that the 12 steps seemed to be a means by which God, through the Holy Spirit, was conveying the healing power of the spiritual exercises in a new way, and now not just to Jesuits, not just to Catholics, but to the whole world. So uh, Father Ed felt he had to find this great Ignatian spiritual master who had written the 12 steps, Bill Wilson, not realizing that, in fact, Bill was no, you know, Ignatian spiritual master. I was going to say he was no spiritual master, but he was, in fact, a spiritual master, just not in the Ignatian sense. Uh, and he, his reading of uh, Christian literature at that time was not very deep at all. Bill was quite new to Christian uh, faith. He had come in through a uh, Protestant sect called the Oxford Group, which he um, did not stay with very very long. Um, so when Father Ed first met Bill, coming to see Bill at the uh, AA clubhouse where Bill and his wife Lois were then living uh, in November of 1940, uh, Father Ed's first words to Bill were, uh, I'm very interested in the connections between uh, your 12 steps and the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. And Bill, who was not at all in a good mood that day, just said, never heard of him. And (laughs) Father Ed laughed, and that broke the ice uh, between them. And uh, before Bill knew it, Bill was making his fifth step with Father Ed. Uh, The fifth step of the 12 steps is the the step in which uh, the person who's who's making the steps admits to, to God and to another human being the exact nature of his or her wrongs. Now, you might ask, well, why did Bill need to make his fifth step? He wrote the 12 steps. But in fact, Bill had written the 12 steps, putting together the cumulative knowledge of the first 100 members of AA and what had worked for them. He hadn't actually made all the steps. So Father Ed, from the first meeting, became a spiritual sponsor to Bill in helping Bill to really um, give himself over to his mm-hmm. higher power, to God, in a, in a new and healing way. Well, and there's a little bit of, uh, of perhaps comfort there, but also a phenomenon we see in, in more places than, than just with, with Bill here, is that very often we know the right thing to do before we're able to bring ourselves to do it. That's a great point, yes. 
And and that was certainly true. And when, when we can take that and and bring that into community with someone else, as he did with with Father Ed, it makes it easier to take those steps. There's a whether it's accountability or whether it's just encouragement of the person nearby us. Um, living in community makes the difference for us, right? Just all the way back to Genesis, it's not good that we be alone. There's something That's about right. that community that helps us to be uh, the the person that we are called to be. That's that's right. And, you know, that's why AA works. It's not just the steps. It's about healing in community. And that was another thing that really attracted Father Ed to AA, that sense of a community of wounded healers ministering to one another. Uh, Father Ed had special permission from, uh, from Bill Wilson and others in AA to be a fellow traveler of AA, so you could come to any meeting, even those that are normally closed, meaning those that that non-alcoholics can't uh, come to. Uh, Father Ed wrote to Bill at one point uh, that during his travels, he said, I have been shamelessly using AA as a lonely hearts club. It was the fellowship of AA that really um, rescued Father Ed from a kind of existential loneliness that he had been suffering since his youth, especially since the death of his uh, of, of his uh, younger brother uh, when Father when Father Ed was in his late teens. At the end of, uh, or rather, at the beginning of each chapter, you have a little quote, uh, and one of the the quotes that that really struck me uh, and resonated with me quite a bit is early on as he's before he receives his vocation to the priesthood he's talking about the um the book uh the the imitation of christ from thomas akempis and he says i like it very much in the novitiate i used to pit pit each of the sentences against each other in a tennis journey uh, and then the winners against winners until I got what I considered was the best sentence in the whole book. It's kind of like the cliff notes, Father Ed's cliff notes. And he says, I decided the best thing there was uh, is the sentence, as much as thou canst go out of thyself, so much will thou be able to enter into me. And this, first of all, I love the idea of, of a young um, seminarian, a young novitiate, taking a book and saying, I'm going to find, I'm going to find out of this whole thing, I'm going to find the best sentence. Yes. Uh, yes. Is a mar- March madness before March madness, right? Exactly. Uh, going through and bracking it all the way down. And, yes. And for him to find, for him, the best quote being the more you give of yourself, the more you escape of, out of your own, <laughs> the more you can go out of yourself, the more you're able to enter into Christ. Yes. And he yes. As he said that to his sister, uh, he also lived that out throughout the entirety of his ministry. That emptying of self, that that self gift, as Saint John Paul, uh, Pope Pope Saint John Paul II would say later, uh, being kind of core and central to not only to his ministry but to his Christian life. Yes, uh, that's that's right. You know, John Paul spoke about gift of self, and and it's from. Um, Gaudium at at Spes uh, 22, the Second Vatican Council, uh, in 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 that um, the human person 
finds himself, herself through, through a, a, a gift of of, of self, um, because you know we and and actually the Second Vatican Council said that's in imitation of of, of Christ because that was the way shown to us by by uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so, you know, Father Ed, um, it's at the time that he wrote that to his sister, he was just um, beginning to suffer from the ankylosing spondylitis, the terrible arthritis that would uh, really um, afflict him uh, for the rest of his life. He had been a great athlete. Uh, he had been a star baseball player in high school and college and had uh, tried out for major leagues. Uh, and so to find himself at the age of 23 with this disease that was limiting his mo- his mobility, uh, it, it must have been, you know, personally, you know, devastating. And yet, you know, he came out of that experience with, you know, a, a stronger faith uh, because of really clinging to that teaching of of Kempis in the Imitation of Christ about going out of himself. So he would would use like these experiences of the pain to get out of that of that kind kind of you know I don't know how to describe it, but that 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 kind of um, closet um, of uh, of 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 pain. Mm-hmm. In these last couple of minutes, as you look at Father Ed's life. You look at the relationship he had as the spiritual sponsor of of Bill Wilson, and you look at um, our, uh, maybe the message that he gives to us to get out of ourselves. What would be maybe your, your last takeaway or message to us from Father Bill today, Father Ed today? I suppose my last uh, takeaway is that, you know, part of our journey in holiness and getting closer to God involves becoming gentler and more patient uh, with ourselves. Father Ed didn't offer any kind of uh, cheap grace or false mercy. Um, People always you know, left their encounters with him feeling challenged in some way to do better, to be better. And yet, you know, the way that they experienced that challenge was in an atmosphere of, as as you and I shared uh, earlier, an atmosphere of great hope, great encouragement. You know, there's a, a certain strain of Catholic asceticism um, we see it in Saint Jose Maria, for example, this sort of manly, macho asceticism, where you know you think of God as being some kind of drill sergeant, um, you know, pointing out to you all your you know weaknesses. Which is not to say that Saint Jose Maria didn't have a great um, belief in and theology of hope uh, as well. But, um, you know, that approach is just so different from the Father Ed approach that's always 
building on one's strengths and from that gaining the confidence to believe that one can overcome one's weaknesses. What I'm so fascinated about with the saints is that each of them encounters the love of and grace of God in a different way. And each of them has a very particular way of communicating that. Yes. And, and maybe the, the key takeaway for me is that not every saint, not every uh, holy person is the right vessel or communicator for every other person, right? Well, well that's, that's absolutely true. And certainly there have been, you know, times in my life when I've come across some saying by St. Jose Maria that's, that's, you know, cut me down a bit, but uh, you know, also challenged <laughs> me in a good way. So, um, so, yes, you know, that's one of the great blessings of being a, a Catholic, that we have so many different spiritual masters, mm-hmm. so many different spiritual paths. You know, another um, gentle approach that uh, Father Ed was certainly familiar with was St. Therese of Lisieux's Little Way. Yeah. You know, that's also an approach of of becoming better mm-hmm. through um, being gentle uh, with, with oneself and patient with oneself. Yeah. We've been talking today with Dr. Donna Eden Goldstein. She's the author of the award-winning biography of Father Edward Dowling. Father Ed, the story of Bill W.'s spiritual sponsor. It's available right now on Orbis Books. Don, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you so much, T.L. It's great to be on. God bless you. If you missed any part of my conversation with Dr. Don Eden Goldstein, or you want to go back and listen to it again, or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. If you're looking for more, I've got good news. There is always more. Each and every week, we record an extra segment that doesn't make the broadcast that we make available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air, and in gratitude, we like to give them a little something extra, a couple extra questions with our guest, a deeper dive into the topic. You can go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link to learn more, and look through some of those older episodes as each of those extra segments are made available after about six months to the general public. Go ahead, go through and listen through those archives and see if that's a community you would like to belong to. Now. Let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching by putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking Scripture to the Catechism, to the Fathers and Doctors of the Church, biblical commentaries, original language research, and so much more. You can learn more over at Verbum.com. Our reading from Scripture this week comes from the Gospel of John. Chapter 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. 
These things I command you so that you will love one another. That reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 15. And this is part of uh, the Passion narrative right before Jesus, uh, after the Last Supper or in the midst of the Last Supper, and as he's going off uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane. He has these three chapters, 15, 16, and 17, where he is pouring out his heart and giving his his last words to his apostles. And through all the three years that he's walked with them and heard them argue with one another and heard uh, their their attempts to uh, to decide who is the greatest and uh, seen their their great acts of faith and their great lack of faith, depending on the day. And he's watched all that they've done. He's leaving them with this. Love one another. Greater love has no one than that he lay his life down for his friends. And then he says, look, I'm doing this for you. I am doing this. And now you do it also. And being that this was so important that Christ has this as some of his final words to his apostles, I think it's worth repeating that love is not merely some affectionate thought that we have for another person. Uh, Love is, according to St. Thomas Aquinas, to will the good of the other, to see the needs of the other person, and to actively work to bring about their good in each of those situations. Love one another as I have loved you. See the needs in the others and work to fulfill those needs. Our reading from Church History Today comes from a commentary on the second letter to the Corinthians by St. Cyril of Alexandria. Those who have a sure hope, guaranteed by the Spirit that they will rise again, lay hold of what lies in the future as though it were already present. They say, outward appearances will no longer be our standard in judging other men. Our lives are all controlled by the Spirit now and are not confined to this physical world that is subject to corruption. The light of the only begotten has shone on us, and we have been transformed into the Word, the source of all life. While sin was still our master, the bonds of death had a firm hold on us. But now that the righteousness of Christ has found a place in our hearts, we have freed ourselves from our former condition of corruptibility. This means that none of us lives in the flesh anymore, at least not in so far as living in the flesh means being subject to the weaknesses of the flesh, which include corruptibility. Once we thought of Christ as being in the flesh, but we do not do so any longer, says St. Paul. By this he meant that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He suffered death in the flesh in order to give all men life. It was in this flesh that we knew him before, but we do so no longer. Even though he remains in the flesh since he came to life again on the third day and is now with his Father in heaven, we know that he has passed beyond the life of the flesh For having died once, he will never die again. Death has no power over him anymore. His death was a death to sin, which he died once for all. His life is life with God. Since Christ has in this way become the source of life for us, 
we who follow in his footsteps, must not think of ourselves as living in the flesh any longer, but as having passed beyond it. St. Paul's saying is absolutely true that when anyone is in Christ, he becomes a completely different person. His old life is over, and a new life has begun. We have been justified by our faith in Christ, and the power of the curse has been broken. Christ's coming to life again for our sake has put an end to the sovereignty of death. We have come to know the true God and to worship Him in spirit and in truth through the Son, our Mediator, who sends down upon the world the Father's blessings. And so, St. Paul shows deep insight when he says, This is all God's doing. It is He who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ. For the mystery of the Incarnation and the renewal it accomplished could not have taken place without the Father's will. Through Christ, we have gained access to the Father. For as Christ Himself says, no one comes to the Father except through Him. This is all God's doing, then. It is He who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That reading comes from a commentary on the second letter to the Corinthians by St. Cyril of Alexandria. And here in our gospel and in our reading from church history, we see a similar tack, a similar trajectory, that of Christ leading the way, but calling us to follow in it. In the gospel, we see love one another as I have loved you. See the needs of the other and put your whole being into meeting the needs of the other, to will the good of the other. Love one another as I have loved you. And then in our reading from St. Cyril of Alexandria, we see this again as Christ has reconciled us to the Father and then sent us out to facilitate that reconciliation in others. He has made us ministers of reconciliation to take what we have received from his hand, from his gracious hand, to see the way that we have been brought into union with him, and then to go about actively seeking that same reconciliation, to intercede on others' behalf, to introduce others to that reconciliation. Love one another as I have loved you. We've been reconciled to the Father. Now, we've been made ministers of reconciliation. I, I hear the words of Christ, go and do likewise. That's all the time we have for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's show is brought to you by Susan Wise and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link to learn more. Come be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.
This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.